Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Quest On Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. Eming, thank you for that point. You know, folks, if you're listening, I, I need a cue to know when, at what point in the music I should come in. It didn't used to be an issue. Now it is. Thankfully, Eming is here to save us all. That can was I, expertly can, done. Can I make a quick comment on that? Please. This, this podcast is three years old. <laughs> Why am I doing this now? Is what I want to know. <laughs> because we never used to have the music. Okay, fine, like, fair, live. fine, 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 fine. You fine, would put fine, the music fair in enough, post. Fair enough, fair enough. I just like wanted this. to ask that question publicly. <laughs> and I have a very public answer. We may have been around for three years, but that's still brand new. Okay. okay now that I've gotten the important stuff out of the way, uh, welcome everybody uh, to this week's episode of Margin Call. I'm very happy to be back with Eming. I'm very happy to be back with you. Uh, and I'm happy uh, to welcome our guest, uh, who is an author, a writer, uh, and uh, her name is Bridget Portman. She's joining us today to have a conversation about her recently released book, The Twin Stars, uh, which is available on Amazon now for download. In fact, actually, I I went on and downloaded as soon as I found out about it. I'd never done one of these like two ninety nine or you know limited downloads. This is actually a pretty cool thing, and that's part of what we'll talk about today. Um, but yes, thank you, Bridget, for being here. Welcome to Marja Call. It's great to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. Um, so I do want to start off just by giving our listeners kind of an overview of um, the book itself and of the series. Maybe I'll, I'll have some questions about, you know, how this installment fits in uh, to the rest of the series. But just tell us a little bit like the overview of, of the Twin Stars and the Cosima Saga book uh, series. Uh, sure. For well, our listeners. Um, yeah. So this is the first one. Um, it is going to be a trilogy. That's the plan. And I, I've started writing the second one now. Um, but the first one, The Twin Stars, is the beginning of it all. And it's a young adult uh, sci-fi fantasy. Um, it fits into the portal fantasy subgenre. So um, basically, it's about an ordinary person who gets transported to uh, a fantastic, extraordinary world. And um, my main character's name is Olive, and uh, she is a writer who also struggles with obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, and the, the premise is she goes through a portal and ends up in the world of her writing, of her story, and then has to interact with characters that she herself created, including her protagonist, who is this idealized Mary Sue uh, version of herself. And uh, that interaction um, goes wrong. That's all I'll say for now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but then Olive needs to figure out how to kind of find the hero in herself um, and, um, and set things right in, uh, in this fictional world that she created. Uh, fascinating. I think I would definitely have a hard time if I encountered uh, the idealized version of myself. I'd probably think they were pretty annoying. That's what I would think. <laughs> As if I weren't arrogant enough, now I've met the person who's a, the idealized version. Uh, I I wanted also wanted to ask, just so we know, this is this is a young woman, right? Olive is a young person. Yes. So she is yeah. sixteen. 16. Yeah. Uh, what a time to encounter your idealized self. 16 years old. That's a crossroads. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> I, I remember when I was 16 and just, you know, trying to figure out who I was. 
and um, my idealized self. Yeah, I'm not even I'm not even sure what it was like, but um, I think I, I had like very high standards for myself and never felt like I measured up to what I thought I should be. And so I think encountering my idealized self would be um, would be kind of traumatic. Yeah, yeah. Especially, you know, the idealized self of your own creation. There's a lot of (laughs) suggestions here, a lot of meta stuff going on about authorship uh, and then being in a magical way, being forced to inhabit the world you've created in some ways. uh, It made me think initially of that movie Ruby Sparks. Did you ever uh, see that movie Ruby Sparks with Paul Dano in it? It's about a writer who creates kind of an idealized woman, like as a girlfriend. It's kind of a Pygmalion kind of myth for the artist. And then that woman appears and she becomes real and they fall in love. And it's kind of a romantic comedy, but also pretty dark. Uh, and I, I'm really intrigued by that aspect of, you know, you, you say it's a portal fantasy, but it's also it's not just a portal. It's a portal into essentially your own mind and your own creations or imagination. Um I wanted to ask about, you know, the role of this theme, you know, you talk about obsessive compulsive disorder and and that you, you know, treat uh, mental health pretty seriously in this book. And it's a theme. What was the impetus for that? Like, at what point did you think it was important for this character to have that be a part of her struggle or part of her story just for you as a writer? Um, What was the, the process there? Yeah, um, that was part of Olive's character from the very beginning. And it it came from my own experiences. So um, I have OCD. I've had it for as long as I can remember since I was, you know, four or five years old. And um, so in a lot of ways, she's she's based on me, um, which made it kind of difficult to write and also sort of therapeutic to write at the same time. Um, Because, you know, it's kind of she's working through her demons and then I'm kind of working through mine. Um, but also that that made it challenging, too, because it, it brought up a lot of emotional issues. Um, so I knew that I wanted to write a character who had OCD. Um, I don't think there's a lot of that out there. Um, there are some some books uh, that that um, fiction books that have characters with OCD, but they're kind of few and far between. So um, I thought I, I would I would try to write one. And, yeah. um, yeah, I, I wanted to, to show that a character with a, an anxiety disorder could still, um, do brave things and, and be a hero. Yeah, no, that's a, a very important takeaway from the book. I, I was asking myself the same thing. When have we seen a character in pop culture, either in, you know, books or films, uh, with OCD, I could only come up with a couple, and for the most part, they seemed either like the it was kind of played for laughs in some ways or like kind of presented in a very unrealistic way. One of them I remember is As Good As It Gets, which is the mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson movie. Um, and then the other one was that show Monk. I don't know if anybody remembers mm-hmm. Monk, but Monk was like a pretty cool show it was set in San Francisco. And he uh, also his character had OCD. And that was like part of why he was a good detective. So in some ways, there's some mirroring there. But had you uh, seen either of those and thought about like uh, the representation of a character with OCD? Mm-hmm. Are there others that I'm not mentioning? Like when you were thinking about developing this character? Yeah, I, I have not seen Monk. Um, I've heard about it. Um, but I have seen as good as it gets. And I was definitely thinking of that. 
um, where OCD is kind of played for laughs um, and uh, portrayed as kind of like a a personality quirk um, rather than what it is, which is a a serious mental illness and anxiety disorder. Um, And I think there's also just a, um, a misperception about OCD that it always has to do with being uh, tidy and and um, cleaning and being very organized, and right. that is that is one form of OCD for sure. Um, but there are actually many many types of OCD, and there are many that um, like I I have a little bit of the cleaning thing, but not really. Like I uh, I make a mess. <laughs> I'm not a particularly tidy person. So um, yeah, there's there's. I wanted to, to show here uh, in the book that there's, there are other kinds of OCD and it's, uh, it's not really like a, a fun personality quirk to have. It's, um, it can be quite debilitating. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I noticed that as well. That's kind of why I thought of those two shows, which even if, you know, people were presented in a respectful light, which I think Monk was, it was still like kind of a lighthearted thing. Like, like you said, like a quirk, you know, mm-hmm. and, there, and there's a lot more going on there. Um, I am interested uh, in the idea we were thinking so much, I think, um, as a society about representation and what kind of characters we see in popular culture and what their backgrounds are. And and we usually think about that in terms of um, race or ethnic identity or gender um, or sexual identity. Um, And I know that there have been attempts when we talk about diversity to represent people um, maybe with physical disabilities. And we've seen some of that in the past, but I'm, I'm curious about representation of people with serious mental illness or mental health um, challenges and what that might do to kind of change our understanding of, you know, mental health or mental illness. Was mm-hmm. that part of what you were thinking about when you, when you wrote this? Like, it's like, you know, I'm interested in this genre. I want to write this kind of a story. And I think it's important for this character, for this reason, for, for people to understand this experience a little better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, like I said, there just aren't a lot of of books out there with or anything, you know, film with characters with OCD. And I think mental illness in general doesn't have a lot of representation. Um, maybe that's getting better. I, I, I hope that it is. But I think it's really important because it, it's still stigmatized and it's still, you know, it, it's oftentimes when we when we think about mental illness it's portrayed as or there's this, this sense that it's somehow like a, a personal failure right like if somebody has depression or if somebody has anxiety there's this um this stigma that it's like somehow their fault that they're weak right and i think like it's easy to internalize that even um as a person who has an anxiety disorder so there's this guilt and shame that comes along with it and I think it's really, really important that we get past that and, um, you know, as a society and realize that mental illness is it's it's like physical illness. Right. It's not it's not a person's fault. Um, and I hope that that representation will help to do that and will help to kind of normalize it. So I hope that I hope that the book can contribute in some way. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely had that impression myself from the book. It felt like a different kind of experience. I think part of the difficulty um, in awareness or or having an understanding of mental health or mental illness is just there are so many misconceptions. There's not a lot of 
I think, public education about what like mental illness can be or what mental health challenges. And we use a lot of these phrases that come from, you know, like the DSM as shorthand to talk about, you know, friends of ours or people in society where you'd say, oh, you know, like if someone has mood swings, you'd be like, oh, that person's, you know, bipolar. I'm like, no, no, mm-hmm. that's not what <laughs> bipolar is. You know, like mood swings are a very different thing. Bipolar disorder is very serious and there are other aspects. And, and like you said, you know, if somebody likes to keep their desk neat, you know, you say that they have OCD. Um, and part of that education or understanding, I always think can, can come from popular culture. I always think it's a very helpful and important tool. Um, my, my other question, and I guess, um, I am kind of curious about the specifics. Like I want to let our readers know, like how her challenge, how her OCD, um, kind of plays into the storyline. Is this something where, you know, we don't like to use language where it's like, oh, you and you conquer and overcome something, but how does she kind of manage it? And how does it um, like interact with your narrative and story arc? Yeah. Um, I mean, she's, she's on her way toward managing it. And I will say at the, by the end of the first book, um, she is starting to a little bit better, but it's going to take her the whole trilogy, I think, to really get a get a um, a handle on it. Um, it's the way it, it plays into the narrative is uh, it, it affects her writing. So um, she has developed what she calls uh, her her problem with writing, where uh, the letters have to look just perfect on the page, or she gets this feeling like she has to redo it. So it's kind of a, a perfectionism um, that it, her OCD is manifesting as. And so uh, another aspect of this is that while she's in the world of her story, her own fictional world, uh, she has her journal with her and she's able to write in the journal and everything she writes happens. So she's able to actually write and then the story continues Uh, So the problem occurs when she has that OCD related problem with writing, because now she's trying to continue her story, but it doesn't work um, because she uh, her perfectionism strikes and she tries to erase what she's written. And so um, not to not to give anything away, but something happens um, because of that, that that ends up being very bad. And then she ends up having to confront something that is creatures that are kind of embodiments of her OCD. Yeah. So yeah, that's, it, yeah, uh, that's fascinating. She runs into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am uh, also interested, you know, aside from the content, just uh, the, the process of publishing and being a new author and, you know, what you went through to, to get this up. As I said, you know, it's a- available on the Kindle cloud reader. You can read it on a browser, on an actual Kindle or any other kind of e-reader. It's very easy to find on the Amazon site. What was your uh, approach to publication? I know the publishing world has changed a lot. Were you working on this yourself for a long time and went and found an agent? Did you consider self-publishing? Like, what role did Amazon play? I'm just, I'm, I'm very curious what that process was like for you. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll say that the paperback should be available on Amazon too any day now. Um, but it is that the Kindle version is available. Um, I uh, I worked with a, a company. The, they're a Canadian company called called uh, Titan One Studios, and they are a content development company. So they have done um, they've published graphic novels. They have um, created uh, like TV pilots and, and things like that. Um, 
And I, I was, I was connected to Titan one through um, somebody I knew from uh, graduate school. And so we got in touch and they were kind of interested in trying to publish uh, novels. And so we, um, we've been working together closely to publish this and we have used Amazon, but so we, we used um, Kindle direct publishing, which is uh, Amazon's um, uh, sort of self-publishing service. So they, it, it allows you to uh, create eBooks and also to create print books. Um, it's been really easy to, uh, to work with. And um, I've, we've been pretty happy with the, with the results um, so far. So, um, yeah. Did you know that was going to be your publishing plan when you set out? You know, I, I'm not even sure how long you were working on this manuscript. Yeah, I did not know when I, when I first set out. So I, um, when I first wrote this, I just knew that I wanted to write it. And um, my plan was maybe to look for an agent once, once it was done and uh, maybe to self-publish. Um, and so I wrote the first draft. And at that point, um, I was connected to Rath and Morthy at uh, Titan One Studios. And um, he was very interested in the book. And so we, we made the connection and just uh, worked together from there. Great. Um, it looks really nice. Like I said, I Thank have you. the E version, but uh, the cover art is cool. Were you involved in the process of developing the uh, cover art and the illustration inside? Yeah. Um, we we kind of worked together to come up with a, a concept for the cover mm. and um, knew I wanted to have Olive and uh, Cosima, who's for Idealized Self, uh, on the cover and to have the, the twin stars in the background. And then uh, we hired a um, an illustrator, um, Tony Middy, who is uh, a really uh, a wonderful illustrator, who did the cover art, and um, very happy with the way it turned out. Yeah, no, it's it really is a wonderful. I'm I'm happy to hear that it's going to be out in uh, paperback too. Um, just because that's whenever I'm buying a book, I'm always like, ah, I gotta wait for paperback. Not because I don't want to pay the extra to get a hardcover, but I just, you know, I read so much on the subway. So if I'm not using an e-reader, I'm like, ah, it's gotta be a paperback. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I get it. I, yeah. I like, I like having physical books too. Yeah, no, I'm definitely the same way. Um, so Russell, let me, I have a signed one. <laughs> oh, you have a wait. You have a signed hardbound. Yes. No. No. I have a signed paperback, but it's like the okay uh, the, the advanced the review proof version. copy. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, advanced I, version. I changed it. Some slight, like some some readers pointed out some typos, so I, I changed mm. some slight little things between the the advanced review copy and and this one. But um, yeah, have you been uh, like working actively to get? you know, reviews on the site. I know that part of having, you know, a book or using publishing on Amazon is to get people to write reviews and, and give uh, ratings. Have you been doing that actively? Have you been getting a lot of reviews? How's that going? Uh, yeah, I reached out to a number of people um, prior to publishing and sent them advanced review copies. Uh, Eaming was one of those people. And um, I was able to get some reviews that way. And then um, slowly reviews are coming in. I have uh, something like 12 or 13 reviews on Amazon now. Um, I, have, uh, I have some others on Goodreads. So, yeah, I think reviews are really important, especially for, for kind of unknown authors. Because um, I know when, I, when I'm going to buy a book, I look at the reviews, um, especially yeah. if it's an author I don't know. So that, that's a, a, a really important part of it. Yeah. 
No, I ask because my um, my uncle actually went through a similar process where he was trying to figure out the best way to self-publish and went the Amazon route. And then because I was familiar with the book, he called me. He's like, oh, you got to write a review. That's the, everybody says that's the way to generate interest um, on the site. And Goodreads, too, of course. Goodreads has become yes. a pretty invaluable resource, I think, for readers of, of all stripes. I um, love Goodreads, yeah. Yeah, Goodreads is great. So it's one of it's an example of like the, like the algorithm works, you know. Like you like I really do like that thing because I liked the other thing, you know. It's yeah. a, it's a good place yeah. for and discoveries. Like, and seeing what my friends are reading, I often um, gives me ideas for what to read. Yeah. No. Uh, I I did want to ask because you mentioned and I hadn't heard this before that you. Uh, you know, heard about this publisher in uh, Canada from a friend of yours from graduate school. Were you in an MFA program or was it unrelated was. to writing? Oh, okay. Where did you uh, do your MFA? Um, so I, I've actually in grad school for political science first, and I did that at UC Irvine. Um, and then I, I also got an MFA and it was a um, uh, low residency program with Spalding University. And in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and a uh, wonderful program. I, I highly recommend Spalding. Um, but yeah, I did a uh, an MFA with a playwriting focus. But, oh, wow. uh, and I'm also a playwright. Um, but it's a very cross genre program. So I was exposed to, um, you know, a lot of fiction, fiction writers, and um, fiction is always something that I've liked to, to explore. So I um, thought I'd try writing. A full novel. Yeah. Did you start working? Did some of the ideas for this project start to germinate while you were in the MFA? Is that what some of your uh, plays were were about? Or is there was there any was there a seedling of some of this in in what you were working on at the MFA? I would say um, not not so much the plays I was working on, though I did work on this while I was in my MFA. Um, uh, it was just kind of like on the side. Uh, well, I was, my plays were more centrally focused on the M, um, part of the MFA program. Um, but I will say this, the seeds of this were probably planted back when I was a teenager. And I decided to try to write a, um, a sci-fi fantasy Star Wars inspired novel. Um, I got up to about 800 pages. Wow. And it was, it was horrible. So like that, that novel, I still have, it was. Like I was like, I was 16 when I started writing it. Um, but like for years I worked on that thing and um, it, like it was full of tropes. It was, it was not a good, a good piece of writing, but I still have it on my computer. And sometimes I go back and the neat thing about it is when I read from the beginning of it to the end, I can see how my writing improved and my oh, wow. characterization improved. Yeah. And there are a few, few characters from that where kind of glimmers of them have shown up in uh, in this book so i like to think that it was not a complete waste of time <laughs> <laughs> it's never a waste of time if you're sitting at the desk and you're hitting the keys you're doing good work no matter what <laughs> it is um i am curious also you know uh Eamon gave me a little bit of your background and just your bio so we know uh, just from the wonderful laughter in the background that you're a mom with two kids um, and you're a playwright and you're, you know, Eming says that you're writing and submitting plays for competitions all the time. Uh, I'm curious what that uh, life is like as, as a creative person. You know, I, I 
finished my MFA recently. Um, I was able to teach while I was there. Most of the people I was there with were kind of angling for that. Like academia is kind of protecting uh, the writer in some ways. If you can get um, academic work, then you continue to write. But it's very hard to get those jobs. Other people, you know, like myself, I have like a full-time job in an industry that is unrelated to, you know, the arts. Um, but that gives me enough stability to work on my own projects in my free time. So how are you kind of making this work also with the added aspect of just, you know, home life and, and yeah. having two kids and being a writer and all of that? What does that look like it's, for you? It's hard. Um, I do a lot of my writing uh, late at night when the kids have gone to bed. Um <laughs> <laughs> I can see why. I can hear why. Yes, yes. Um, I I am a teacher. Um, I, I teach playwriting, and um, I've I've taught uh, creative writing to uh, to kids for the past year uh, during the pandemic. I have um, mostly stayed at home with the kids, um, you know, and I've I've done a little bit of of teaching um, um, uh, from home. Um, but, um, yeah, right now I, now that things are kind of opening back up, I am looking for, um, more teaching jobs, but for now, how it's kind of been is I've been, um, kind of watching the kids in the day and, and working on my, my writing at night. And, um, yeah. And I have a, um, a supportive spouse who, who is able to watch the kids sometimes. And thankfully we have enough stability that, um, that I have been able to do this. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So what is, what are, do you have active, um, are you doing playwriting right now and submitting and, and trying to mm -hmm. get things staged? What is, what's going on on that side for you? Yeah, I am playwriting right now. Um, I'm working on a new play with a collaborator and kind of in early stages there. Um, but we're hoping to, to get that one staged. Um, I've, uh, I, I submit to, to various local theaters, um, here in the, uh, San Francisco Bay area. Um, I have one, I, I have a play that's going to be done, um, uh, live and in person next March, March of 2022 wow. in San Francisco, um, that I'm looking forward to. Theaters are just kind of now starting to open back up. Um, so over the past year, I've, I've had some some readings and performances done on, uh, over Zoom, but I'm excited now that theaters are starting to open back up and hopefully things keep going well um, and, and that process continues because I, I, I love being in a physical theater, seeing my work on stage. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an incomparable experience. I was reminded of that many times. I mean, I'm, I'm in New York, so Broadway's a big deal. You know, everybody's always talking about, you know, when are the lights going to come back on? And Bruce Springsteen did, was the first show. He did his show was the first thing on Broadway again. And he asked for, um, verification uh, of vaccination for, you know, so that he could have mm -hmm. a fully vaccinated audience. It's like, ah, it's one way to do it. Um, but everybody else is gearing up. Like, uh, I personally have been waiting for Hugh Jackman's <laughs> music man to finally come to Broadway because I like musicals, <laughs> particularly the music man, but it is uh, wonderful that, you know, performing arts is starting to open up again. Uh, and I'm glad to hear the same thing is happening in the Bay area. Um, have you always written, you know, uh, within the science fiction and fantasy genre? Like, for instance, are the plays that you're writing informed by that genre or, or are you writing kind of unrelated uh, pieces as well? Some. 
Yeah, I have a couple of um, sci-fi kind of speculative plays. Um, one of them was done in San Francisco a couple of years ago, and then I have a couple of shorter ones. Um, but I would say most of my plays tend to be um, like more contemporary dramas, comedies, mm-hmm. things like that. So I have kind of a, a broader, um, yeah. I, I do write some plays that have to do with mental health. So I have um, I have a couple of plays uh, about OCD. Um, so that, that's you know that's a theme that's kind of across many things yeah. that I write. Yeah, I um, you know thinking about science fiction and theater, learned recently that the word uh, robot was from a play like a science fiction yeah. play. Rossum's Universal Robots from exactly 100 years ago, which I guess was a robata is a, a Czech word for forced labor. Whoa, isn't that crazy? The origin of the word robot is essentially, yeah. you know, it's forced labor, essentially slavery. Anyway, I, I came across that when I was doing some research into... Random um, with Russell Morris. <laughs> well, it's relevant because, you know, we when you think of science fiction... Uh, and fantasy, you don't get to see it on stage very often, you know, for that's production. true. Yeah, you for, really don't. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's, um, yeah, I can like count on one hand, like the number of science fiction fantasy uh, theaters. Yeah, and uh, actually, there was a wonderful one here in the, the Bay Area that no longer exists. So, yeah, we need to have more more science fiction yeah. on stage. It's, it's fun. I've had it's, yeah. a, a dream forever about a man who falls in love with an android. Uh, while he's in prison in the future and the point of prisons in the future was to keep people away from because time travel is possible so if you could access a time machine you could just like travel forward to after your sentence is over so the only point of prison was to keep you away from time machines so he falls in love with an android i won't say anymore but it is set to the music write that it's set to the music of the kinks (laughs) So <laughs> get ready, guys. <laughs> yeah, here I am talking. I, 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 yes, great. So, uh, this is the encouragement I needed. Wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah, this is this has been very illuminating uh, and very encouraging for me. I thank you for being here. I want to remind our listeners uh, that our guest tonight is Bridget Portman, uh, who is the author of a book, The Twin Stars, uh, which is available now for download on Amazon or I think paperback you said any day now will be available the paperback is supposed Um, to be available anytime yes okay paperback is available so yeah i I encourage our listeners uh to check out the twin stars for all the reasons we've discussed tonight it is a a unique and and wonderful piece of writing uh bridget thank you so much for being here this was fantastic i uh i learned a lot yeah yeah this is great and i i actually have a lot more personal questions as a reader about, you know, narrative and character development in the book itself, which I felt like, okay, let me leave that alone for the sake of our listeners. We'll have a more general conversation, but it would be great to continue this conversation when I can ask more pointed questions as a reader. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for being here. It was a real pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and thanks as always to our producer, Eming, who points in my direction when it's time for me to give the introduction at the right part of the song and does basically everything else for this show. I just show up and talk for a little while. Eming knows it's true. She's nodding. Yeah. <laughs> go go ahead. I, I want to say, I want to give one uh, more shout out to Eming. Eming was one of the, um, one of the readers of uh, my early draft of this book mm-hmm. and gave me really helpful feedback that helped make it better. So thank you, yeah. Eming. 
we were in the same uh, writing course. And I was like, someone's writing sci-fi? That's interesting? That I'm interested in? I was like, I want to know her. <laughs> that was like my first reaction. I was like, we need to be friends like now. Yeah. <laughs> and Eaming is, is writing a wonderful sci-fi novel too. That Fantastic. I can't wait to, to, to see released. Yes. yes. Then the the shoe will be on the other foot because then we'll get to have Eming on as a guest. <laughs> yes. No. Once it's no. published, you no. can't keep it a secret. You're never going to find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. But yes, thanks as always to Eming, our producer. Uh, thanks to our listeners. Uh, and until next time, quest on, everybody. This episode of Quest On Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.